don't want to see myself. <laughs> All right, guys. What's going on? Oh, we're live right now, Sarah. We are live, right? What's Great. going on, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of Fire Builders Live. My name is Josh Corporal, and like always, streaming live from Key West, Florida, surrounded by roosters and God knows what else is out there. Today, we have very special guest, Sarah Aguilar, on the show. Sarah, welcome to Firebird. Hey, Live. Josh. Thank you so much for having me. It's so How good to have you. It's so good to have you. I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm just thrilled and honored to be here, and I hope I can live up to the bio that you wrote about me. I have no doubt in my mind. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. We are going to talk today essentially about pursuing your dreams, something that everybody needs to do, right? You don't want to live an entire life not playing the music that's inside of you. And we're going to talk about that today. But before we get into that, let me tell you guys a little bit about how this show works. What we do is we bring on amazing experts. We break big goals into small steps, things that you can do every single day to progress and to get better. Today is no exception. Let me tell you a little bit about Sara here because we've been friends now for uh, what, like maybe a year, year and a half, something like that. And it has just been so impressive watching the kinds of things that you are doing. Author, social anthropologist, founder of Keto Supplements, which is Europe's leading ketogenic retail and education website. You are a restless adventurer at heart. You are very, very familiar with the fear that someone will experience as they pursue themselves, they pursue <laughs> into the unknown. But the important part about that is to not let that fear stop you, but instead press on, right? You've always had an amazing passion for health and fitness and wellness, but you've also had this spirituality and creative side, and you've tried to see where the intersection between those things lived, and you've sort of lived there. You've got a wild and nomadic passion for life that has found you living with Bulgarian gypsies, dropping everything to go and study in India as a yoga and meditation teacher, which is an insane story in itself. And we can get into that. Uh, but you've also, without any previous experience whatsoever, you built a six-figure e-com business centered around the ketogenic lifestyle, and you did it all from scratch by yourself. That is incredible. I have personally seen you sit eye-to-eye eye, having very insightful conversations with leading health professionals today. And now, damn, you're on the show again. It is so good to have you. Sara, welcome again to Fire Builders Live. <laughs> thank you. Um, that live sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you for the intro. And um, I'm very excited to be here. So yeah, fire away with your questions. All right, here we go. Well, how I like to start off is... Uh, one, guys, if you're there and you're listening to this, shoot us a comment. Let us know you're there. All those comments gets pushed through and we can address them on the show. Sarah, I like to ask guests when we first start out, right? So tell me where you are in the world and what, you know, a typical day is life in Sarah's life these days. Well, we're at the beginning of winter in Kent. So I live in rural Kent. It's um, southern England, about an hour from the sea, an hour from London, and um, obviously, that's in the UK, if anyone's wondering. Um, a typical day um, would be I start my morning usually with a walk. So I do like 10 minutes of yoga, 5 to 10 minutes of meditation. Then I either go for a countryside walk, like 45 minutes. Um, I live in the countryside, so I like to get the headspace. So I don't listen to anything. I'm just like in my head, <laughs> and I quite like that. If it's too cold, then I might do a HIIT workout, which I did this morning, and I did my walk in the afternoon. Always like to get outdoors time. So I always start with like movement and um, sometimes followed up with a cold shower as well, which I did this morning. And so my whole morning routine is like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, and I'll start work. So that could be um, Monday mornings, always got a, a lot of meetings like with my head of operations and assistants, and then I get down to the to the gritty work, whether it's emails or content writing and things like that. I tend to do my research um, into reading about anything ketogenic and um, health around the evenings and the weekends so that I can do the content production in normalish hours. So I work till about lunchtime. Then 
if we weren't in lockdown, that would be gym time. So lunchtime is my gym <laughs> right. time. So it's to take three hours out of the day and go gymming and swimming and um, just won't be working at all. So it's all headspace um, and body space. And I love that. Because we're in lockdown, it's I would normally go and... Playing the, I live opposite a park as well, which is nice. So I started rugby recently. So I'll go out with my husband and we'll do some rugby drills. And he likes football, so we do some of that, which we'll rubbish at. And then we also do some basketball. But it just, you know, gets the blood flowing, get outside and you feel good and then go back to work after that. And so I tend it's to like- work quite concentrated in the morning and then the evenings and during lunchtime-ish for about three to four hours is, is, is recreational time. And, yeah, I usually work till late, don't really watch TV, <laughs> like reading a lot. <laughs> um, so I tend to hibernate and um, go to bed early with a book, whether yes. it's fiction or nutrition, um, one or the other. We have that in common, right? Like not a lot of TV, just sort of There's just no time or interest in that, yeah, because there's no – it's not very interactive, um, and I find it really difficult to switch my brain off and just watch something, whereas reading just, like, you know, takes you away on a magical journey. You can forget everything, but at least you're engaged because you yeah. read. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the yeah. difference between, like, active and passive taking in information, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, yeah. And by the way, Leslie... This is somebody that you should really know. I should introduce you guys. <laughs> Leslie is awesome. <laughs> Leslie is super cool uh, up in Canada right now and uh, okay. very philosophical, great guy. Um, mm-hmm. So what's up, Leslie? Uh, <laughs> I think I look like a bit like a gypsy with this jumper on right now. <laughs> My favorite jumper, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, tell, speaking of gypsies, right? Yeah. Like. I, you know, in the in the show notes, I talked a little bit about the fact that you were living with gypsies. You told me that story when we first met, and oh. I, I just straight up couldn't believe it. I'd never heard anything as cool as that. I mean, it takes a lot of guts to go and do that. Tell everybody a little bit about what you did. I'm a bit random sometimes. So, <laughs> um, so when I was studying anthropology, I decided to study Bulgarian gypsies because there wasn't much research on them. And it was just before um, a lot of Eastern European countries joined the EU. And Bulgaria was one of those countries. So I wanted to go over there and look at migration, um, what gypsies were doing and how they interacted, the languages that they spoke um, and just kind of in a way like ethnography is just going living and living with a completely different culture and um it's quite a luxury as well to just go and do that temporarily to step into somebody else's world and I so I while I was studying I did spend some time in Bulgaria learning Bulgarian and um I went out to Plovdiv which is a beautiful ancient city and my Bulgarian teacher there was very, was very Bulgarian. And there's a lot of segregation that between the Bulgarians, the gypsies and the Turks. Um, it's actually quite shocking when you go into what they call the ghetto areas where the, where the gypsies live. I mean, it looks like a war zone. You get all these old communist blocks that look almost bombed and they, they're living with their animals, their horses and carts and their pigs, bringing them up to like the 13th, 14th floor. In, in a flat. Um, Walking them upstairs. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, so you go there and you're just like in this devastated area, but it's fascinating because it's stuck in time and the people are the most wonderful, friendly people because I was warned by my Bulgarian teacher who was like, to prove that you're a man in Bulgaria, you have to go into a gypsy ghetto at midnight and then if you come out alive, you're officially a man. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, yeah, because I was you know, less insular and brought up in a much more cosmopolitan way. I thought that's that's a bit pants and I want to meet some gypsies because I'm planning on studying them. So I just went there anyway in the evening and met people and they were fantastic and I was fine. And my teacher called the police because he was so worried about me because I told him I was going to be there. But no like, way. So I think a lot of people, I think when you talk about fear and these worries, a lot of it's just made up crap um, and that you really need to delve in yourself to, to figure it out. And also, if you go and carry yourself with a certain energy, 
then you're not going to be attacked. You know, if you go somewhere and you walk with confidence and with good intention, and that's very obvious, people respond to that sort of energy. If you walk around cowering in fear, predators will find you and attack you. And I'm not saying it's, you know, if you get mugged, it's your fault, but there is a way you can carry yourself and no harm will come to you. I really believe that because I have done so many crazy things. <laughs> like, seriously, things should have happened to me and nothing ever has. Because um, when I did go to live out in Bulgaria for a while, um, so after I finished studying, while I, was, I went to um, Spain because I couldn't find any Bulgarian gypsies in the UK, but I could speak Spanish. And I had heard, of, literally, I'd heard a rumour that there were Bulgarian gypsies in Spain. So I just flew out there and I got an apartment there. And um, I spoke to all the different, like, Gitano societies to find gypsies and eventually like I literally heard that they were living um with illegal um I think it was Lebanese immigrants in a certain area in Spain El Hilo in the south of Spain in Almeria so I just went there one day yep. I got this bus across town and just walked around and happened to come across a whole community of Bulgarian gypsies and then hung out with them <laughs> for a while um, while I did my ethnographical research, it was it wasn't just all fun. Oh my! And then um, then went out to Bulgaria after that because um, I got a job working for a British charity, and um, yeah, worked. I basically it was incredible. It was in the most remote village in Bulgaria near Aitos, um, which. It's about three hours from Borgas, which is one of the main cities, and about three, two hours from Sunny Beach, which I think a lot of Brits would know of because it's where people go for cheap beer and the sun. <laughs> and um, what I did there was in a small Turkish village, but surrounded also by lots of gypsies, was set up a children's centre for orphaned children. Um, they have a really big issue with abandoned children, particularly gypsy and Turkish children um so we wanted to set up a little holiday home for orphans so that during the summer holidays they had some nice activities to do so we got donkeys to, and and dogs and kittens so that we'd teach them how to look after animals because the way that dogs are brought up in the village which I learned in my first week <laughs> did I, I told you about this right is that um, they're pretty brutal with their dogs. And you know, if you're brutal with a dog, it's brutal with a human. So my first classically British stupid thing that I did when I moved to the village was sunset runs, which is when all the shepherds bring their, their sheep back with their sheepdogs. And a Bulgarian sheepdog is not like a British sheepdog or a collie. They are massive, massive mountain dogs. And um, they're scary and they're aggressive and they attack people. <laughs> so I was running on my way back. It was dark in this village of 200 people. And then I heard, hear this man shout, Stiga, which means stop in Bulgarian. And then he says the dog will bite. And I was like, oh, dogs don't bite. Like, they're friendly. Right. Right? No. Like, come here, come here, Bobby, come here. <laughs> no. And then this, honestly, it looked like this, like, the fiercest, angriest dog with red eyes and like just I remember there was saliva drop and it growled and it barked at me, but I still didn't, no matter how aggressive it looked, I did not think it was gonna bite me. So I did nothing. It ran up to me and bit my um calf and my thigh. And um no then somehow they got it away. And I didn't you, it happened so quickly, I didn't feel fear. But then I pulled my trouser legs up and there was blood pouring down both legs. And that's when I was like, oh, fuck. Um, so I have like I have like a cavity in my calf and some, yeah, I've got scars on my legs from it. Um, yeah. Damn, and, that's crazy. Uh, I know. Like, hey, you know, yeah. the, but that's the, that's the kind of thing that, that happens to you. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just have to, I don't know, you have to just go out there and experience those things and, and learn for yourself like what you can and can't do, but I oh, agree. Yeah. Like, yeah. and also taking, uh, and also taking like preconceived notions of animals and pets and stuff and applying them to another culture sometimes doesn't work so well, you know, like, I uh, know. yeah, absolutely. Because we just have this, I guess the Western perspective is that animals are just, they're domesticated and they're safe. 
And even though, because my dad's from Pakistan, he told me that he'd seen a street dog rip his friend's calf out in the street in Pakistan. But you just think, you're like, yeah, but that's that. And Bulgaria is still in Europe. So, like, <laughs> yeah. it should, therefore, the animal should be Europeanly behaved. That's crazy. <laughs> um, Which, but I was so- scared of dogs for ages after that. It took, like, the rest of my time in Bulgaria, because I cycled a lot, I was all they could they can smell your fear like that is true before I got attacked I was never chased by dogs after that every single day on my bike I was chased by dogs like literally and it um like the cortisol I would yeah they knew beforehand and I used to cycle my ass like off so fast um but it also obviously was put me under like serious stress I didn't have periods for a whole year because of that um, and I came back home and, like, the fear faded, as it does. That's nuts. That is crazy. Well, so a couple of questions. And by mm-hmm. the way, can you either shift yourself to the left slightly or move your computer? Okay. Am I am I coming out of the screen too much? You are. You are to move? Okay. Is this better? I'll try. Wait. Other way. Other way. There this, you go. Okay. Um, I can only so- see a portrait, so I don't know how... Um, like yeah, wide that's perfect. angle it is. Sorry, sorry. So <laughs> about it. Okay, there so, we go. It's pretty so was asking, uh, how many languages do you know? So how many languages can you speak at least a few words of? Um, well, English, obviously. Spanish, because my husband's Argentinian. So I've been speaking Spanish for a while. And I went to work in a Honduran orphanage when I was 16 and started learning Spanish then. So my Spanish is like the better uh, they're better than Bulgarian because I've not spoken Bulgarian really since I was 21 when I was in Bulgaria. And since then, I haven't needed to use it. So uh, I've forgotten that. And then I did a little bit of French a couple of years ago. And I think, yeah, I tried to do some Portuguese when I was about 15, but that's it. And I also any- tried to learn um, some Romanas, actually, to speak to the gypsies. Um, Excellent. That was ages ago. Mm. Would you have? Do you have any plans for a new language by chance? I don't. I think I'd like to polish up on my Spanish and learn an instrument, which I think is almost like learning a language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It really is. Uh, yeah. Well, so here, so Kevin, so Kevin Pruitt, watching now. Uh, I have no idea where <laughs> this is, Surrey, but uh, apparently it's close to Kent or in it, Kent. No, so Surrey is another county, so it's like north. It, no, it's not north of Kent. It's yeah, it is north of Kent. So it's closer to London. Awesome, Ish. awesome. Yeah. Kevin's a cool dude. Uh, mm-hmm. Hi, so, Kevin. So, uh, so it's all about right. You lead this impulsive, very, very like driven life where you just don't have the mainstream belief that you can't do something right. And I feel like that's instilled in people at a very young age where you say to yourself, like, you start to realize how capable you really are about, you know, to do something like that. And I 100% agree that the kinds of warnings and things, even though when people say, yeah, you shouldn't go here, you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't do that. Yes, there might be some slivers of truth to that. But unless you're taking advice from somebody that's actually done it and experienced it, then you have to take that, that warning with a grain of salt. Yeah, it's true. And it always comes from somewhere. And I think I can definitely pinpoint that to my parents. So um, my parents are both pretty fearless and came over here at a really young age and made it on their own entirely with nothing. And uh, my mum also has real, um, she's Irish and definitely has the Irish wild sense, but she just is attached to no place and totally like, if you think I'm fearless, you have no idea. But they always they always said, like, never follow the crowd. Don't be the same as people. And you are strong. And um, we were really taught that from a young age and not to just want to be the same as everyone else and fall into it. That, and also asked to question dogma. And, um, you know, why do people do certain things? Why are they doing that? Look, that, you know, most people are kind of stupid. Um it's, it's just like looking at the sheep mentality. So I think I have my parents to thank for that. I love it. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I feel like I was just having this conversation with somebody earlier today. 
you know, the, with all of the lockdown and how parents are really starting to change their minds about, about life and, and how it's starting to depress people. It's really having, and has the potential to have a massively long-term effect on kids and their mentalities because they are seeing things and emulating their parents and, and watching how these parents are responding to things. And just like how you sort of naturally kind of acquired a lot of these personality traits uh, and mindset traits from your parents in a positive way, in like a, hey, I want to go out there and fucking do it way, right? Uh, it can have the opposite effect if everybody is depressed. You know? Absolutely. I mean, we're products of our environment. So, you know, we're nourished by that which surrounds us and the attitudes. Um, there's even some research that says we inherit issues ancestrally, as well, which is a problematic thing. But yeah, if I mean, one of the reasons why so many people act like sheep is because their parents do it. And I think most of the problems with behavior in the world, like when people complain about how children are today or how teenagers are today, where are they learning that from? Because adults are failing them. And actually, we need to be more childlike and unlearn all of the adult protocols that say you must conform, you must fit this, you must do the nine to five, you must suffer, you must work hard. You can enjoy work. Work can be play. You can be creative and imaginative and just daydream if you want to, you know? It's, yeah. It's, um, people are very stuck in a certain, like, limiting way of thinking and feeling and lacking creativity but that comes from adulthood i feel like we need to just go back to being more like children but not childish childlike yeah exactly like uh like the not necessarily the personality of a child of a child but uh but a um uh like a mindset almost mm, right like mm. like an ability uh you know a willingness to just dive deep into something yeah i really believe you can do it and just suspend any disbelief and also that kind of focus and flow that kids have when they're playing if we can have that as adults with our work or recreation then you've just you've made it if you can continue that into adulthood because it's almost like society beats that out of you yeah and you've got to unlearn how we're told to be and go back to the imagination well before we get so i have a question about that but before we get into it right so leslie said uh, so weird i just finished writing a piece on the loa you have to tell me what that means and fear and how wolves can smell your fear. Interesting. L-O-A. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I'm not sure. But how fear and how wolves can smell your fear. There you go. Oh, uh, and uh, and yeah, like, and it's true. I mean, just like you said, it's just a sense. It's like an energy. It's like a yeah, vibration. I, yeah, absolutely. So it goes back to, you know, the, the prospect of, say, going into a gypsy ghetto. Are you going to be safe or not? What energy are you giving off? And I think dogs smell fear because you release cortisol. And hormones have a smell, and dogs can pick up on that. And humans also pick up on each other's hormones. And we, we can't necessarily pinpoint it, but it's there in the subconscious and in, you know, in the background there. And, um we, you know, you get a sense when you meet someone if they're strong or confident or stressed out. Um, and it's because it's almost like pheromones. It's I just don't know what the, the strength hormones are called. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, it's a law of attraction. Oh, uh, OK. Right. Mm, mm-hmm. And let me pull this one up, too, because this is cool. Sorry, you're rich fascinating bio. You've had a wild ride thus far. You seem nomadic by nature. Any long-term aspirations of settling down? Ooh, interesting <laughs> question. That's a good question. <laughs> um, um, no. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't ever feel attached to any physical place. So I would, I mean, we're thinking of moving to the sea maybe next year. But in terms of moving around and being quite fluid, um, and I want to do some traveling as soon as lockdown is over because that's, you know, I'm sure everybody does. But um, no, settling down in terms of in a physical place is not something that I deem necessary. I mean, it's almost it's almost counterintuitive sometimes to do that. Right. Uh, where I just feel like it makes you lose your edge. <laughs> you know, like you, you sacrifice you sacrifice something for a sense of a sense of confidence, like a sense, not confidence, but a sense of like, of like, ah, what am I, what the hell am I trying to say, Sarah? Like, uh, 
you know, a sense of, of comfort. Right? Yeah, I think it depends where you derive that sense from because is that is that like a physical place, like a geographical region? Is it people, certain people you need to be with? And in a way that's more important to me than – so settling down to me means, say – I guess with relationships, like being in love and finding that someone like with my husband and being with them. So home is wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And that is settling down, whether, but you could spend the whole time on a boat traveling or living in a different country every year and bringing up and, you know, and having children and moving them every year, which I think is so healthy for them. You don't need to settle down as in I'm going to be in a house and stay put. Like, I think, why would you ever need to do, I mean, you need to do it for a nine to five job, but if you don't have to, why would you, I wouldn't choose that person because I don't derive comfort from that. Yeah, no, you're right. Like it depends. It completely depends on where. And I feel like maybe that comfort can be derived from yourself. You know, you can, you can be so comfortable with who you are, understanding Mm -hmm. who you are as a person that just like you said, you don't need anything external to validate that. It doesn't matter where you are, nor the circumstances externally around you. You can find that comfort within yourself. Yeah. And having the right people around you, I think, that as well is always important. I think if you've got the right support, you can achieve anything. Yeah, I agree. Um, mm. I agree. And uh, okay, so I'm getting all these. Let's see. All right. So, so much life experience in such a young life. Yes, I agree, Kevin. Orphanage, living with gypsies, inspiring. What's next? Astronaut. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I'll tell you. And then Perian. Okay, so Perian asked, is your husband, so this is a good question. Is your husband as nomadic as you are? Right. Because I would imagine that that it can be like it's a double edged sword in a way. Right. Like on one hand, um, some people look for the opposite to balance mm-hmm. themselves out. And some mm-hmm. people don't. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Um, no, he isn't. Um, I'm definitely more just like I want to do something. I'm going to go and do it. And then if I need to apologize, I will do afterwards. That's just the way I do things. Um I mean, he also has traveled a lot being hard, like, well, he's Argentinian. He spends a lot of time out there. And I think from early in our relationship, we were traveling in different places. So we got used to being apart, but he works more of a normal job. So he's more likely to stay put. Um, and I guess I'm free to travel a bit more. But I think that makes the relationship stronger than if you're in each other's pockets all the time, which I think is actually quite an unhealthy way to live. Yeah, yeah, In my exactly. opinion. Yeah, yeah, right. Right, right. No, totally. Yeah. Uh you know the you know the fact that you have such a fluid job like you're able to work online and you're able to do all of this traveling wasn't always so. In fact, you were in the printing and stationery business before before all of this <laughs> stuff, right? So it what? it turns out it turns out you weren't super passionate about printing and stationery, but you were, you know, you're the kind of person that the work teaches you the work. Like if you don't know something, you'll learn and you'll figure mm-hmm. it out. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what you did with keto supplements. So what happened with like, how did you begin keto supplements? Um, well, a few years before I set up keto, my husband had been diagnosed with late onset adult epilepsy. So he'd never had seizures and he started to get seizures. Um, simultaneously I've been doing a lot of self-development work as well learning about business doing like just getting up an hour earlier every day um doing like the Tim Ferriss stuff and James Altucher you know really knowing that I wanted to do something different but not sure what and um we learned a lot of we were studying pretty much the ketogenic diet because that was invented to cure um pediatric epilepsy and looking at a lot of biohacking and things like that so that was going on in the background and I thought that I wanted when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be I thought I wanted to do more meditation and yoga so I was working in print and decided you know what I although I love my boss there and I enjoyed the work I knew it wasn't really what I wanted to do so I thought I wanted to set up some kind of holistic training mixing up fitness, health, diet, yoga, meditation. So I thought, you know, I'll just go to India and study yoga for a month. And um, (laughs) I booked my sabbatical at work and booked my flights, booked the yoga course, sent off for my visa to go to India. 
So I was like, yep, this is happening. I didn't, I actually Wait, like, and by the way, before, before you go yeah. any farther, if, if, if people have not done this, to get your visa to go to India, you actually have to send away your passport. Only, they, only if, you're Pakistan, if you've got Pakistani heritage. Well, I had to do it. Oh, really? Because yeah. the other, like, if you're English, you just drop it off there and it takes two days. No, I had to send it away. The, oh, okay. And I was like, um, and I was freaking out because it's your friggin' passport. You know, it's such an important document. I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but when I was filling out the application, it asks you one question. Do you have grandparents of Pakistani origin? They don't ask about any other, um, heritage at all, just Pakistani. And my dad, my dad told me to lie. He was just like, sorry, just say no. And I was like, no, I'm not going to lie because I'll never get into the country. (laughs) So this is an example where honesty didn't pay. (laughs) So I told the truth and I didn't get my passport for nine months. So I didn't go to India. Like I, I basically had to keep postponing my flights. But this all happened. So a week before I was supposed to go to India, I, I was just like, "Oh crap!" Like, why? Why haven't I got my visa? Went to the embassy. I like, harassed the ambassadors. Like, hell, you can imagine what they did, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, they never gave it to me um, until like. God, ages later. So I wasn't going to India, but I pretty much jeopardized my job and I had yeah. a proper job. I was, was like, oh crap. Like <laughs> I don't have a job. Um at, what, what am I gonna do? But luckily, luckily, I've been doing the work of kind of learning about business, setting myself up. For kind of, I knew that there was something coming. I could feel that energy. I just didn't know what it would be. And then I was listening to, I was basically driving with my husband to the beach, listening to a James Altucher podcast, and it was on someone selling supplements on Amazon. And and I saw two, like a double rainbow, which is always a good omen. I literally had the idea, it's like, why don't I start importing the supplements that I want to get for, for Fran, my husband? and start selling them in Europe because I'd heard about exogenous ketones preventing seizures in um, deep sea divers. And I figured if they do it for them, they'll probably work for someone with epilepsy. So I wanted to get them for Fran as a Christmas present to offset like alcohol, being tired or sugar, which are the three main triggers for seizure. Couldn't get them in the UK. So I literally, literally just then had the idea why don't I start importing them and selling them over here? So he walked on the beach. I came up with the name and um, like we had lots of discussions about it. I just felt so like energized and like bought the domain that day, started learning. I literally like watched a YouTube video on how to do a WordPress website. And um, uh, yeah. I'm such a technophobe because I can't even put the TV on with the remote control. But I was like, I, I'm going to learn everything that I need to do to do this. Didn't hadn't imported supplements before, nothing like that. Um, built the website somehow, wrote the content because I was already interested in the subject. So that was, in a way, it was quite natural. And I love writing and researching things to the anthropological background. Um, spent a few thousand pounds on supplements, spent about 150 pounds on doing the site myself and all the hosting. So it wasn't that much. And I figured if no one buys them, we'll use them. Yeah, exactly. You always have a backup plan just in case. (laughs) Exactly. So in four weeks, I had set the whole thing up and launched my first Google ads. I spent 99p on (laughs) and woke up the next morning and we had an order. And I literally, I literally jumped up and down in the house. It was like, that was the best moment of my life (laughs) today because it's like, (laughs) you don't really believe that you're going to do something. It's going to work. Like you believe it, but you don't really you know, you don't really, you believe it, but you're like, yeah, I'm not really going to be good enough. I don't really know what I'm doing. You have all those doubts. And then, and then the orders just kept coming in and and it was just, there were too many. And I just decided to leave my other job because I was still working there after having some, well, I hadn't even had time off. I was just doing part time and then just couldn't be at work anymore. And it took off. And then, and this is all like, you're talking there's no warehouse or anything. I mean, you had all no, of these supplements. No, I did everything. Like, I kept everything up. in the attic, like <laughs> yeah. literally. And then eventually it was too much. So I had to get a fulfillment house. And that was like, I was like, wow, I have three hours less work to do every day. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was doing everything myself. Because you don't, 
like you don't know if something's going to really work. You just pour yourself into it. And I, I just, I was so driven because I was sort of in, in between a rock and a hard place, but I'd done all the prior work in terms of getting my energy right, knowing that I needed to learn WordPress. Um, and I just poured myself into it. It was like this external force that just acted through me. I cancelled everything social. I was a total hermit. Didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I was just, just like cancelled everything with my friends and was just like, I'm working on a project. I'll let you know when, when I stop being a hermit. <laughs> and then um, so there was no one even there to question me or say that's not going to work because I didn't tell anyone what I was doing, really. Yeah. Um, and then launched it and was just like, oh, my God, it's working. Yeah. That's so awesome. By the way, uh, I want to show you this. Mm-hmm. Susie says, I love this. Trust that you know and go. By the way. So cool. I, mean, totally, I love the podcast that you had with her. It was brilliant. She's you fantastic. Would, you would totally get mm-hmm. along with her. I should introduce mm-hmm. you guys. Seriously. You guys would uh, definitely hit it off. Uh, and, and, uh, and so, well, so I like to ask people that come on to the show one real main question, right? Because that mm-hmm. energy that you described, that mm-hmm. just devotion to set your sights on something and go, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes people don't have that or they, they, maybe they did, but just like you said, it was kind of beaten out of them as mm-hmm. they grew up, right? So mm-hmm. what... What is it? Tell me if you could suggest, right, in your opinion, okay, if you yeah. could suggest that people start somewhere, if they start where, what do you think they should do? What's one step, one single thing that they could do to start to really learn and tap back into that, that force that gets you over fear? Well, oh, that's a tough one. Force that gets you over fear. Um... Hmm. I think it's difficult with just one thing. I think there's yeah. a couple of things I'm going to have to give you. I think in terms of figuring out, going back to the, before the point about fear, in terms of finding a drive or something to work on, I would look at the problems or difficulties that you face in your life, how you would solve them if they're not already being solved. And that's usually can be the basis of a business if you're solving a problem for someone else. Because in my case, it was getting supplements you couldn't get over here. So yeah. I started importing them and distributing them. Um, in terms of getting over fear. Like, for instance, with the way sometimes the way that I like to frame this is, mm-hmm. let's say an eight-year-old kid came up to you and said mm-hmm. that they really wanted to start a lemonade stand, but they were afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. What would you? What advice would you tell them? I would say, what are you afraid of? Um, I think for me, um, what I would revert back to is so there's the fear of doing something, but what about the fear of not doing it? So it's what motivates me is not – so I, mean, I want to do something in a day. What motivates me? The regret that I would feel if I didn't do it. So it's the more like the not fear of missing out, but if you don't try, that is so much worse than trying. Fearing the outcome of doing something is, you know, so much better than is well, it's so much better to do something than to not do something because the fear I, I have a fear of not trying or just going along with things as they are, or just, you know, being complacent or stagnant, that to me is so much scarier than actually going for something. So what if you fail? So what if you don't achieve it? You still tried, and there's so much you gain anyway, even if you don't hit that goal that you're looking for. So if I think about it with keto supplements, if it went down tomorrow, does that mean that I failed? Because I do think about this because you get stressed out sometimes with anything in life. It's like, would I have failed if, if keto went with just disappeared tomorrow? No, I wouldn't because I've met amazing people on this journey, including you um, yep. and loads of other health advocates and like business people and incredible people with whom I could collaborate with and build something else. I've learned so much. I know how to build a business. I know about importing. I've just built a network of other contacts through whom I could build something else. I know where there are other gaps in the market that I'm not focusing on because I can only focus on one thing at a time. So there's so many other opportunities that I now know about. 
And then there's um, the written work and the other collaborations and just it's so it's, much you know, stuff. So that, much that it's yeah. like, yeah, you have the business, but you have other things that are worth so much more long term. And so if you don't try, what do you risk? You risk living a boring life and feeling unfulfilled, which and to th- me is way scarier than trying and failing and looking like a Muppet for 10 minutes and everyone mm-hmm. forgets anyway. But having a boring unfulfilling unsatisfying life is the scariest thing yeah like like tolstoy's what if i've lived my entire life and it's been wrong you know it's been absolutely wrong and Mm -hmm. and by the way is the word muppet in the uk (laughs) is that different than the u.s muppets like i don't don't know what the u.s (laughs) they're like these they're like these tiny little creatures that uh that are funny and 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 hilarious yeah yeah, it's the same thing but we just use it it's like an insult (laughs) yeah okay okay that's good to know i'm learning so much about uk slang these days um (laughs) so so yeah i absolutely agree you know and uh and like Susie says there's absolutely nothing worse than regret life is not a dress rehearsal and some people find that out way too late um perian said fear is only a word yet people treat it as a lifestyle totally Mm, uh that's true Mm. yep Yep. So I think uh, most people do live in fear, sadly. You know, that's yeah. what shapes. But they're afraid of the wrong things. You know? Yeah. It, we we all are afraid of something. It's just what those things are. Because I don't think that I'm fearless. Actually, I'm really scared of loads of things, but it's the boring normal life in which I'm stuck in a box. Exactly. Uh, whereas other people are afraid of going outside of that and what might happen to them if they do that. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, uh, uh, I can, I can certainly relate to that. Uh, I do have another follow-up question for you, okay. right? right? Because if it really is a situation where mm-hmm. the fear of not doing something is greater than the fear of actually trying it and people tried something, you know, everybody, mm-hmm. the, there's the cliche out there, try something that scares you every single day, even if it's small, mm-hmm. um, things like that. We hear it all the time, but half the time it just becomes, such a passive thing, you know, it just kind of kind of goes in one ear and out the other and you don't really think about applying it. If someone actually took 10 minutes, 15 minutes and thought about it and actually did something that scared Mm -hmm. them even a little bit, even a little bit, but they saw the way that the world reacted and maybe Mm -hmm. saw that uh, it wasn't as fearful as they once thought, where do you think that they would be in 30 days if they did that consistently? I think that they, you know, I mean, like they say, on the other side of fear is growth. But what they should look for is not to look for things that scare them. It's to wait till the feeling of fear or anxiety or stress comes up and step into it. Because I did for a while have a sort of rule that if I felt scared or anxious, I would make myself do it. I would force myself to do it. And that was so that was like a trigger. So it's like, oh, you know, if there's a big talk and I'm like, oh, I want to say something, but I'm really nervous. I'm going to sound like an idiot. And then I'm like, well, you have no choice now because I felt that fear. (laughs) And that can be the same as like diving off into um, a big, deep pool as well. I've used it a few times. So if it scares me, then I'll be like, well, now you have no choice. (laughs) But yeah, you would grow hugely and you would realize that the fear is not so bad fear is just you're afraid of what you don't know and that what you don't know could be amazing yeah and lead to so many things you don't know what those opportunities are that are holding you back that hold everyone back <laughs> i love it i love it i love the pact that you've made with yourself you're like look if i feel scared i'm definitely doing it there's no question about it like forcing myself to do it i know <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a bit brutal i don't like I haven't needed to do it recently because, like, I haven't felt in that situation since, I guess, of lockdown. It means you're not really as exposed. But prior to that, I would, you know, you just lean into it. So you feel that fear and you're like, okay, that is the signal that I have to do it. And then you you begin to enjoy it. It's a bit sadistic, but it's kind of nice. Well, no, I, I agree. Because like, do you find, because what I have also seen is that, once that trigger happens and they uh-huh. feel that fear and they say, oh, shit, you know, I don't know. There's that hesitation at the very uh-huh. beginning. Then people spend all of their time and energy trying to identify why. 
instead of just doing it. Exactly. Make, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like yeah, it just, it ends up being just sort of a, like an endless cycle of just trying to identify why that is and getting to the truth of the matter when actually you probably don't even need, like, who cares? That's like trying to, trying to understand why it rained today. Well, it's, it's analysis paralysis, you know, you can get into this, um, oh, why should I do this? How, you know, it might not work or why did this happen? Why is that happening? Blah, blah, blah. And it, <laughs> you see, I clearly don't do it very much. <laughs> but like, for me, it's just like, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm not going to think about it. And if I have to think about it, I'll think about it afterwards and I'll deal with it. Like you, you cross that bridge when you get there. And I think that is the key thing because most people, when they think about, I want to achieve something, they're like, I want to, I want to set my own business up. But then I'm like, oh, but but I, what about setting up the branding and how am I going to deal with the customers? And what if I make a mistake on this? Or what if the email campaigns go wrong? What if I lose money? Blah, blah, blah. They think of all the problems, but the problems that are way ahead in the future rather than what can I do right now to make something happen? And that stops so many, so many people from do, achieving anything or getting where they want to go because they think too far ahead. And they think of the problems that you just, what you have to do is just think of, is not even really think that much. You just have to get things done like bit yeah. by bit by bit. And when you come to a problem, you get over it because we're humans, we're resourceful, we're adaptable, we're the most intelligent species. Like we've got to have faith and then you can always ask for help. But the thing is people think too far ahead and they think, oh, I can't do it because of this. When really you can take small, it's small baby steps, but just, discipline, perseverance, and being really obsessed. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that obsession comes from, comes from something that is drawing you outside. Like, like it comes from most likely some larger, some larger, you know, magnetizing idea that you are simply drawn to that will pull you out of the things that happen to you today or the things that happen to you in the week or the month, like, because there's a larger play at stake there's a larger reason yeah just thinking about the the ultimate goal the vision not the ultimate problems that you're going to face and um and just moving it's like a force an energetic force moving towards that and taking steps every day you just want to wake up and the first thing you want to do is work on it and um make it happen and to believe it as well you really got to believe it yes i love this Seriously, I could have this conversation all day long with you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, question for you. Okay. I am sure that people will want to continue the conversation with you because you've been such an amazing guest already. Uh, Thank you. What, what is the best way that people can get in touch with you and continue talking? Um, find me at, on my website, ketosupplements.co.uk. And you can wing me an email there or comment on one of the blog posts. I'm always writing about everything to do with ancestral health, taquito, eating, lifestyle, um, and even business sometimes too in focus. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, is there, if they hop on that site, is the easiest way to just hit the con? I'm sure there's a contact tab there or is, something. There is. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Very cool. Well, Sara, honestly, this has been so amazing. You know, we we have conversations like this, but never, never this in depth. And I've actually learned quite a bit about how you think. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just like, this is awesome. And I know other people are feeling the exact same. Perian does not want the conversation to be over. Uh, Susie. Oh, infectious. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so many great people listening. You're influencing so many. I think it's amazing. Uh, I just want to say like, I know you're super busy. Thank you so much for taking the time to Thank hang with you. me. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to be on the show and um, yeah, stopping me being such a hermit that I've been recently. But this has been so much fun. I'm just honored that um, you wanted to introduce me to your tribe. Of course. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's great when, I mean, you've got so many insights and honestly, just the Bulgarian gypsy thing alone, you're just like, yes, she friggin' does things. <clears throat> and it's refreshing. It's refreshing. It's a refreshing attitude that I think people need to really have and see, right? To not just talk about stuff like this, but watch people and emulate them. You know, 
mm-hmm. especially because nowadays in a, in in these crazy times where everybody seems to be putting pause, pressing pause on their life, there are other people out there that are making big moves. They're using this as a way to make something really happen and taking advantage of the situation. So that's, you know, that's part of the reason why I wanted you on here because you're one of those people. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that this lockdown actually has been a perfect opportunity to put your head down and come up with some different ways of doing things. I mean, I've got some projects in progress that will be launching soon and I'm very excited about their top secret. (laughs) So it's a great time because there are less distractions so you can really like knuckle down and get to work. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been so good. Uh, As we wrap up, you got any parting words for everybody, people that are listening? What, uh, any, any like small little nuggets of uh, sorrow wisdom that you want to um, leave people? I guess in general, if society tells you not to do something, do it anyway. That's <laughs> yeah. what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like, don't let people, be sure that you're taking criticism from the right type of people or like you're taking advice from I think the right question, people. Question the norms that shape society Mm. and are they actually beneficial and should they apply to you and and the way you want to live? I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see what's next for you. Seriously. Uh, I can't wait to see what's next for you as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will keep in touch. I know that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, and this has been so great. So guys, um, I know that for everybody that's listening right now and watching live, I just want to say thanks. Thank you to Sarah. Sarah, thank you for your time so much. Thank really you, Josh. It. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes. So this is Josh, Sarah, and Elvis, the rooster, somewhere <laughs> roaming around here. I'm sure being close by. <laughs> yeah, being quiet today. Uh, <laughs> we're signing off for another episode of Fire Builders Live. Again, we stream live Monday through Saturday, six days a week. So come join us for another episode. Sarah, thanks again. Thank you, you machine. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. All right, guys. Adios. We'll see you next time. Ciao. Bye.